This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Lidos runs flight service into the future. We have some updates on both the Mooney and Cessna workforces. We say happy birthday to Colonel McGee. World record seeker Bill Harrelson is in the air. Also world first for electric aviation. Are you ready to do some Hangar Talk, Ian? Yeah, let's do some Hangar Talk, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulis. And David, our guest this week, a guy you caught up with, a very special guy. This is going to be a great one. Tell us about it. I've been wanting to get NORAD Santa on the horn for a long time, Ian. So our wishes have finally come true around this holiday time. And we're going to talk with NORAD Santa's major, Andrew Hennessy. He's got some secrets that he'll reveal about NORAD Santa and the Santa tracking app. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that, but make sure you don't get any coal in your stocking this winter. <laughs> yeah, you got to listen or you will get coal, right? Right on. Is that it? Yeah. Hey, all right, so let's let's jump into the news. We'll, uh, we'll cover it. It's a little slow this time of year, but we still have some interesting stuff coming up. The first and, and probably the one that will apply to pilots for the over the longest term here is that Lidos has been awarded the new flight service contract. So, Ian, as you mentioned, they have basically they've signed up for a new five-year contract, which can be renewed in yearly increments up to 10 additional years. Yeah, so Lidos, of course, runs flight service now. They bought that program from Lockheed Martin. So a few things here that I think are interesting. You know, AOPA was heavily involved in setting this contract because GA, of course, is the biggest user of flight service. Among the many things that uh, we pressed the FAA to do was to keep phone briefers. Well, that's an important thing because you need to have that that experience, you know, the feet on the street sort of. And also putting a little bit of a human spin on it kind of helps at times, too. I think the experience factor is a real comfort factor to other pilots. Yeah, I think so, too. Now, interestingly, one of the things that Lidos is going to have to do is cut costs by, this is incredible, 65% over the life of this contract. And so what that tells you is that there will be probably some attrition from the human briefers, but there are levels of service within these contracts, so we can expect that. 
But, you know, Lighthouse, I think you're going to see some sort of PR efforts and some beefing up of the other resources so that pilots feel like they get the same level of service, maybe in a different way, though. That's right. And don't forget that Lighthouse took over from Lockheed Martin, as you said, and that was in 2015 under these one-year contract extensions. So this gives them a little bit more continuity and can also help as we look to the future. I think that this is actually a really good thing. Yeah, I think so, too. You're right about the continuity because, man, to have a new contractor come in and, you know, kind of relearn the whole system, I mean, that's that's a tall order. So I agree. I think Lidos is a good choice here. This is an I, I want to just really quick sort of close the loop on this whole human briefing thing. This I found fascinating from the story. So only 14 percent of total flight service services are phone contacts. So the, those folks, those old folks like me uh, who call in for briefings in certain cases and call in to file, you know, S for flight plans and things like that. That's only 14 percent of everything flight service does. But it's 94 percent of their costs. So pretty significant. Well, it is. That's an inverse relationship on that, Ian. And that's a good point. And the human service does cost some money. And because of the interaction and, you know, resources, I get it. Resource management is a key thing as we look to the future. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, speaking of workforce, a couple of items we want to talk about. Mooney, now we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago with their big furlough. We thought maybe they'd, you know, maybe we'd see a bankruptcy or something in the future. And it's sort of like you blink and it never happened. They're, they're back at it. That's right, Ian. I spoke with Don Maxwell, one of the most respected Mooney service experts in the country. And he's actually in Texas, so he's not far from the Mooney factory. And he had been in touch with them almost daily anyway, although folks at the factory weren't answering the phones. They were kind of busy. They had a skeleton workforce. And that is nothing new for Mooney. They've been in and out of trouble since the 1930s, basically. But they were honoring all their uh, service agreements with their service centers. They were shipping parts out, Don said, and also handling warranty claims on the newer airplanes. That's interesting. Yeah, I liked your little tidbit there from the story that basically right when it started in the 30s, it's like the first year they were having financial trouble. So it kind of set. It hasn't let up, really. I, I hate to laugh, but it's like, yeah, it really hasn't. One thing that's interesting to me, though, is the, you know, the price of a new Mooney Ultra Acclaim is $800,000. That's pricey. And, you know, they're competing in the same realm as uh, as the whole airframe parachute Cirrus, which has garnered basically, you know, number one general aviation manufacturer status for the last number of years. And so it's a pretty tough marketplace. But Mooney did rise to the occasion. They redeveloped that airplane a little bit with a second door, made it more convenient to enter. And it is all hand built. You know, this is uh, basically a steel structure, and they are uh, there's hell built for stout. I hope <laughs> I can say that on the podcast. But I have personal experience with a Mooney, and it stood up pretty well to uh, to what I say is a successful emergency landing, and basically an unsuccessful rollout attempt where I hit a truck. They are stout, no doubt about it. You know, it's interesting too with Mooney. I, I'd be curious to ask the sales staff what this is like. But you know, they're not building a ton of these things. They haven't been the past couple of years. And you mentioned Cirrus. You know, I mean, they are just. It's unbelievable um, how many airplanes they sell compared to the competition. One thing Cirrus is really good at is advertising outside of aviation. And so they're getting some pi- you know, fresh-faced pilots, things like that. I would venture to say that most people who are buying a Mooney know Mooney. You know, it's like they either have owned one or they've loved them since the beginning or something like that. I don't see them plucking a lot of customers from other manufacturers. So even though, you know, I think when you look at the airframe sort of side by side, it's like I've flown the Acclaim Type S, I've flown a new Cirrus. The Acclaim is oh my God, that's an incredible, incredible airplane. I mean, that thing is so capable. It's fast. It flies beautifully. It's just fantastic. But it's really hard to compete with Cirrus and their support network, the training, the parachute. When you look out into the future with Mooney, it's like, uh, you know, hard to, hard to see them making huge, huge inroads, even though I agree with you. They have made 
I think, some really nice improvements to the airplane. Well, they have, and uh, anyone who flies them, uh, first of all, I, I've only flown uh, a couple of Cirruses, and the last one I flew was like their flagship model, and it was fantastic. What an experience. But a Mooney is just, they're so fast. I mean, they're, they're, they handle so well, the pushrod controls and everything. And it's like you're you're inside a cockpit. You're not on top of a bench seat like in other manufacturers you feel like you're enveloped by the airplane which i prefer it's like you know a sports car in fact yeah yeah no i totally agree it's one of those few you know a lot of people say oh the airplane handles like a sports car the mooney is one where i feel like that's actually sort of true you know it's like low slung you sit low it is so fast it's a little unforgiving on you know on landing and that sort of thing so no i'm, I'm totally with you totally with you so hey moving on actually about textron Now this was a bit of a surprise a huge surprise to me and other folks in the industry yeah so they announced thankfully they're going to keep folks on through the end of the year but but at that time there'll be a few hundred layoffs which is pretty significant that is significant now here's one thing to let folks know about because we have many many textron aircraft owners listen to the hangar talk podcast this is primarily with engineering and professional support workforce personnel. So that, to me, says it's not the folks on the front line at the manufacturing plant actually putting our airplanes together, but there are other folks in the operation, perhaps in marketing, perhaps in public relations, and obviously in engineering and, and other product support. But that, to me, says that there's a little bit more to it than what we know. Yeah. And, you know, especially the fact that it's engineering. I mean, it's like they, you know, yes, they made the point that the longitude was certified. So, you know, sort of a natural drawdown. But it's like they've got programs that are in place now, new programs, the Denali, you know, the Sky Courier. So, you know, they've got the technically they got the hemisphere. So you would think that they would need that engineering staff. So I, I am curious what that means for their future products. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that, too. But um, there wasn't that much information about what happened here. Dan Nemowitz put a little story together as, as this uh, unfolded, really, um, last week. So the positions, I'm not sure you know, what positions will do to affect the future of some of their plans. But they did offer a voluntary retirement program, and this is not an unusual thing to happen in businesses. In fact, when I was in the journalism world, this happened to us, too. So that is something to think about. Maybe they're trying to get leaner and meaner. I mean, that could be part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's turn on to some happy news. Colonel McGee, now you were at this celebration, so I want you to tell me all about it. But Colonel McGee is a Tuskegee Airman, celebrated his birthday last year as 100th, came to Frederick. You guys had a big celebration. So, so tell us all about it. What was it like? First of all, Ian, Colonel Charles McGee, my hat is tipped to him. What an outstanding person and really an aviator to inspire ages of other aviators. He also donates his time at the Smithsonian, helps younger kids, and really um, gets a lot of people involved in aviation. But let's talk about this. He turned 100 years old on December 7th. On December 6th, he was behind the controls of a Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet, Ian, and I was in the back seat making some photos. And, uh, and Boney Caldera, one of the uh, Cirrus Vision Jet sales personnel, who's an excellent person and a great pilot as well, was a flying right seat. Colonel McGee, this is his first time in a Cirrus jet. The guy taxied, took off, cruised, and landed this airplane. And when he landed the airplane, my quote was, 
it was like butter. I mean, Ian, first time I was in an air, it's the first time I'm in another airplane and I try to land it. I mean, it, it's like a Dave T landing. It's an arrival, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was smooth as silk. The guy has got just a smooth hand. That's awesome. It was such an interesting feeling. It's such a, a feeling of joy to be flying with someone who has overcome so much in his career. And uh, Colonel McGee, at 100 years old, he's a very active person. He holds the record for combat missions, 409 combat missions over three different wars. Whoa, no kidding. Yeah, over 100 missions in each of three wars, World War II, the Korean conflict, Vietnam. And, you know, he flew P-51s, he flew jets. The guy is just an incredible individual. Colonel McGee came over here to Frederick, Maryland, and when we hopped in this vision jet, we went from Frederick, Maryland to Dover, Delaware, and unbeknownst to any of us, they had a surprise birthday cake awaiting for him, and he went through a gauntlet of people just uh, high-fiving him and shaking <laughs> his hand and patting him on the bat. All these military, all these young faces, you know, I could say that because I'm kind of an older person myself, but all the young faces were just, they were thrilled to see someone like this and be among his presence. And he just is a gracious person. And everyone was so happy to be there. It was just a happy moment, Ian. That's fantastic. It is really incredible. I mean, you know, you hear about Tuskegee Airmen, and obviously you think immediately to World War II. And so I was fascinated to learn in your story, yes, about his service in Korea and Vietnam. And you know, I mean, you're talking spanning 30 years there with the flying that he did in the military and then has continued, like you said, to stay active. So that's just uh, just such an inspiring guy. Just phenomenal. He is. And a couple more things. He was lauded by Gamma, Pete Bunce from the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. He invited McGee to be part of the 75th commemoration of World War II, which is going to be in May of 2020. And it's going to be called, the flyover is going to be called the Arsenal of Democracy. It's going to be a flyover of Washington, D.C. So, Ian, I'm going to ask, do you think Colonel McGee would be behind the controls of a P-51 Mustang? Oh, man. I know he said, Pete said he could take any airplane, right? And it's like, that's the one I think I'd pick. You know, although, <laughs> I don't know, when you're 100, it's like maybe you want something that's easier to get in and out of. I don't know. T-6, uh, well, that's that's a high wing, too, so to jump up onto. So I don't know what that's, that's a good, uh, good question, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably go straight for the Mustang. He's got more, he's logged more than 6,000 hours and he's, uh, and he gives back so much to the community. We hope that he will be there to help us in uh, May of 2020. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Hey, actually it's a great segue to another amazing guy, Bill Harrelson. Now this is a guy who you probably haven't heard of, but has, who has done incredible, incredible things with light aircraft. We did a story about him a couple years ago because um, Bill flew from pole to pole in his Lance Air 4 and did it solo, did it in just, I think it was like a week and a half or something crazy. So just a, an amazing guy. And he is now, as we speak, uh, he's in Indonesia because he is going west around the world trying to break Max Conrad's record. And get this, Dave, he is on, in fact, he just finished with this Indonesia, a 31-hour leg in this airplane. A 31-hour leg, and that it's an, that's an incredible. Now, he took off from Ontario, California, and Ian, he took off out, out west over there because that was a 10,000-foot-long runway, and he needed that because he was tankering a lot of extra fuel. But, yeah, flying, I asked Dave Hirschman, who wrote the story, I was like, why is as uh, Harrelson flying west, well, he's flying west because that's the, the record to beat. <laughs> that's the speed record to make. Yep, yep, that's right. And so this is another guy. I mean, he's, uh, you know, with all respect, he's he's not a spring chicken. I mean, he's a retired airline pilot, this guy. Uh, he and his wife built the airplane. His wife serves as, she's also a retired airline pilot, serves as kind of a crew chief back home. His wife's name is Sue. She's a pilot as well, yeah. Yep, yep, helping with dispatches and things like that. 
So this this Lancer Ford, this thing holds 361 gallons of fuel, flies about 180 knots. First he did California to Hawaii, and then he went from Hawaii over to Indonesia. And like you said, 31 hours. But look, his next flight over the Indian Ocean is going to be another marathon to South Africa that's expected to take 29 hours. And then he'll go, what, South Africa to Puerto Rico, another 29 hours. Right. So it's a relative cakewalk, Dave Hirschman says, the trip of 18 flight hours across the country to Ontario, California. Yeah. To where the record uh, attempt began. <laughs> Thinking about crossing the country as a relative cakewalk to me is like, I just can't even fathom it. I know. Well, what's amazing, I think the ironic about the whole thing is that the California to Hawaii leg, which most pilots would are never in their life going to you know going to attempt in a single engine airplane. That was his shortest leg, thirteen hours. Thirteen hours, man, and that's that's scary. And I was you know he's by himself, and I was wondering how much safety equipment he has on. And like you said, he's in a Lancer Four, custom custom built Lancer Four that he and his wife Sue built at their home in Virginia. And so I mean, God, I would just be so scared. You're flying over the middle of these oceans, not not just the tips, and you know nowhere near land. Just kind of right over the the breadbasket of the oceans, so to speak. Yep, absolutely. So we wish him all the best. By the time you hear this, maybe we'll see what happens. Hopefully he'll have broken the record or be very close to it. But uh, go Bill, man. We wish you all the best. Really phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. All right, so David, let's you know finish this week on just another high note, just another bit of really cool news, which is uh, a world first, I think. A commercial operator flew a de Havilland Beaver on fully electric power. That's right, Ian. And Harbor Air out of Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, they actually have the largest seaplane aircraft fleet in the world with 42 aircraft. But they launched on December 10th to the cheers of about two dozen people huddled on a chilly dock and thousands more watching via social media. But they did their first test flight of this aircraft in, and it was flying behind a 750-horsepower Magna 500 propulsion system, and it thundered into the air. And you can actually hear this aircraft, and you can hear the cheers as well. It was truly an interesting moment and a first for general aviation. Yeah, and it's it's really I think fascinating because, you know, obviously we believe in electric. A lot of you know, there's some issue with the battery, you know, the energy density of batteries, but for an operator like this, it seems like it's just perfect the fit because you know, most of their flights are less than a half an hour. And so in terms of endurance and stuff, they don't need a ton of it. And if they can figure out ways to do quick charge and things like that, it's like they're looking at massive savings in terms of energy costs. That makes good sense. They're hopping from island to island there out on the Pacific Northwest coast. And you're right, you know, the short flights and uh, maximum savings for something like that. Back in March when they announced this this desire to have electrically powered aircraft, especially with a Beaver, that's a big airplane. Yeah. And also we should mention other aircraft in their fleet are other de Havilland's. They're single otters and twin otters, and these are pretty large aircraft. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they announced this back in March, I mean, it caught a lot of people in the industry a little bit flat-footed. Yeah. So this is kind of neat to see them move ahead. And the reason why that this has taken effect out in that part of the world is that they basically hooked up with Magna X, which is an electric propulsion venture, and they're based in Redmond, Washington. So it's kind of like a marriage, you know, a, a very well-made marriage where the operator's nearby in Vancouver, and uh, and the aircraft engine operation is is nearby in Washington. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic partnership, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it because obviously they're going to have some sort of massive certification 
hurdles and anybody who goes at this early in the days is going to have to face that. But if there's ever an operator that this makes a lot of sense for, it's like th this is it. And so I'm really excited to see what's next. Yeah. And their goals are to accomplish the regulatory chores by 2021. This is according to an article by Dan Amwitz, who interviewed folks that were key to this operation. And so that in 2022, people can buy tickets in an all electric beaver. Fantastic. Hey, Let's end on another high note, and that is, uh, I'm just, I'm so excited for this interview you got with Norad Santa. I think it's such a cool idea. I'm really glad you caught up with him. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about uh, how they fit into the whole, the whole Santa scene. All right, welcome to Hangar Talk, Major Andrew Hennessy of the Canadian Army, and we are talking to the North American Aerospace Defense Command, known as NORAD, and we're really we're talking to the eyes and ears of NORAD Santa. So welcome to Hangar Talk, NORAD Santa, Major Andrew Hennessy. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. It is that time of year again. You know, NORAD 24-7, 365, we're here defending North America and our three missions, aerospace defense, aerospace warning, aerospace control and warning in that defense, maritime warning, and of course our fourth and most highly known mission, NORAD Tracking Santa. So, uh, hey, thanks for having me. And also thank you and your colleagues for your service to our country and your country. Now, we found out just a moment ago, uh, Major Hennessy, that you are not from the U.S., eh? <laughs> a, that's right. So I'm a Canadian. And as you know, NORAD is a binational command. Uh, it was started in 1958. We're past our 60-year mark now. Canadians and Americans working together to defend both of our countries. There's about 150 of us here at the headquarters in Colorado Springs at Peterson Air Force Base. And then another 150 spread throughout the United States as far as away as Alaska, down to Florida, New York, California. And of course, there are Americans who work at our NORAD sites in Canada as well. So it's absolutely a, a shared mission and, a, and something we value to be able to do together. We were just in your backyard, I was saying a little while ago, with uh, AOPA. Our high school aviation STEM symposium was in Denver this year. And it was just about a week ago as we record this and a great part of the world to be in and a central location, obviously, to monitor the things that you guys do seriously. But we're here to talk a little bit more about NORAD Santa and find out a little bit more about what you guys are doing with that. Let me just read from a couple of sentences here that we've actually had through the years on stories. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but Colonel Harry Shoup back in 1955 when you guys' operation was called the Continental Air Defense Command Operations Center, just received like an erroneous phone call from a little girl and she asked, was he really Santa Claus? And he took the ball and ran with it and said, well, yes I am. And then uh, things uh, escalated from there. And he asked her, was she a good girl that, that year? And of course that launched our Christmas Eve tradition. And I wanna say that I've got a 16 and a half year old daughter now, Lauren, and we have been watching NORAD Santa for at least 10, 12 years. So uh, we do that as a family. We have a lot of fun with it. And we thank you for your service. Yeah, that's a great story. And, and that really is the origin story of NORAD Track Santa. So 1955 predates the NORAD agreement and, and NORAD as we know it today. 
Colonel Shoup was the command center director, took a call from a, from a local Sears ad in a newspaper here in, in Colorado Springs. Um, at first, he didn't really understand what was going on. The caller was asking, uh, you know, if he was Santa Claus. He quickly played along and let the, let the little child know that, in fact, Santa would get to their house, no problem. And thus was born the, the tradition of NORAD tracking Santa. And, and, you know, when we stand up our operations center, our, our NORAD track Santa operations center on, on the 24th, we take thousands of phone calls from children around the world wanting to know where, where Santa is. So it continues to be a, a joy to this day to continue that tradition. So uh, we have some notes that say when Colonel Shoup took that first assignment, basically, when that happened back in the late 19, mid-1950s, then folks in the office, basically, that was when we marked things out with grease pencils and we had plexiglass and we had air operations and ground operations just indicated everywhere on that. And someone was playing, I guess his troops were playing a, a little bit of a joke on him and, and laid that out with some uh, reindeer and a sleigh, something like that, kind of an overlay. Is that for real how this, this whole operation kind of started? I've heard that story as well. I don't know how true it is. I like to think it is. There are a lot of us in the military who are practical jokers, and that sounds like exactly like something we would do. You know, and it's, it's evolved today in terms of technology and tracking Santa that on, on the 24th, we can track Santa in real time and broadcast that out to the world. So anyone who wants to follow Santa around the world can see him as we use our technologies to do that which are the same technologies we use to defend North America. So radars, satellites, when Santa is in, in North American airspace, we use fighters to escort him to make sure he gets to where he needs to go safely. So all of those things we use every day, we use on the 24th as well. Well, it makes for a long day on the 24th, but it does keep everyone at the ready. I mean, you are doing your jobs. It's good practice, right? Like you said, I mean, as an airman, you, you know, we have to keep practicing ourselves. We're always learning. So that makes good sense. It's just a, a nice run up, like a little bit of a drill, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is a long day but it doesn't feel long. When our first volunteers come in at you know five in the morning here in Colorado Springs, they come for two hour shifts to take calls from around the world. The phones don't stop ringing until midnight. And when I say they don't stop ringing, they absolutely do not stop ringing. It is nonstop, uh, it's pretty fast paced. And uh, I think not to speak for everyone who's participated, but a lot of people really enjoy their their ability to, to participate in this in this unique thing that is known around the world. Well, it is really cool. So now there's a phone number I have. Correct me if it's if it's not the right number. 877 high NORAD. H-I-N-O-R-D. And you guys start, like you said, pretty early on Christmas Eve on the 24th, and you go all day, all night, and then trackers are going to be able to uh, look at Santa's whereabouts. We can look at Santa via several different apps. We can track Santa with Windows, Apple, and Google Play stores, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, basically you have a large social media presence. Yeah, absolutely. On any of those platforms you mentioned, type in the words NORAD Track Santa and our website as well, which is www.noradtracksanta.org. From the 1st of December onward, you'll be able to go there, see a new game every day as we get closer. And as well, on the, on the 24th, if you have an Amazon Alexa, you can enable the NORAD Track Santa skill on that which was used by a few million people last year. 
there are many, many, many different ways to stay up to date on exactly what we're doing in the lead up to NORAD Track Santa and on the day itself. Well, let me ask you this, Major Hennessy, and in a couple years uh, in the past, in the States, the Civil Air Patrol, which is an auxiliary of the U.S. Air Force, has actually helped out using high-frequency radios. This is old-school old technology, but they were helping out doing some weather station reporting, local condition reports, things like that, and, and manage some periodic updates. Do you know if the Civil Air Patrol is going to be helping you out this year? Sorry to put you on the spot, just wondering. Yeah, you know what? The Civil Air Patrol helps NORAD all the time. They help us with exercises throughout the United States. They're a key partner that we have. You know, we couldn't do the training we need to do to stay ready without them. And I know they'll be right beside us on the 24th as well. And, you know, we value their, their partnership. Well, that sounds good. I know that there are a lot of youth that are involved in the Civil Air Patrol, as well as a lot of mentors that are, that are folks who are pilots, maybe even some retired folks, that really are passing on that love of aviation. And this is kind of a key exercise because they do some really good and heavy-duty search and rescue work. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great point. I forgot to mention that one. All right, so I've got a couple of questions for you if you're ready to answer a couple of questions from uh, our e-media department. And also, I threw some questions out to my social media folks out on Facebook and elsewhere. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'm going to try to stump you, Major Hennessy. You ready? Let's go. All right, now, a real quick question. So from the e-media department, how many folks are working on this project? So we have over, on the day of the 24th, over 1,500 volunteers that will come in. Throughout the month of December, the public affairs team here at NORAD will do what I'm doing now, doing interviews, working on it. But we're, we're about 1,500 on the 24th itself. So it is, a, it is an almost 24-hour gig, and it takes a lot of people. That is an incredible number of people. I was, I was thinking a lot less. 1,500 volunteers plus staff. Uh, working on NORAD Santa. That's incredible. So now, how do you balance that serious workload that you're here for day in and day out uh, with what has surely become one of the most popular holiday traditions? Yeah, great question. We never stop doing our main missions, which is the defense of Canada and the United States. That never stops. We share the work here in order to be able to do NORAD Track Santa, and it's, it's a mission we can't fail at either. So if we're good at one thing, it's doing our mission and succeeding, and we're going to continue to do that with Norad Trek Santa. One thing that I've noticed in the past few years, and like I said, our family has been tuned in to Norad Santa for quite a while um, with daughter Lauren and my wife Lisa. So there have been changes in the technology through the years, and now there's some really advanced computer graphics and some videos. I noticed that in the last few years. And there's some geopolitical updates that we learn a lot about different places. Like we learn a little bit more about Paris, France. We learn about New York City. We learn a little bit about, about Egypt. We learn about different places that Santa stops with video and interactive graphics. Can you speak to that a little bit as the, from a learning profile? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things you might be referring to are our Santa cams, which we have sort of strategically placed around the world. And as you know, Santa doesn't just come to Canada and the United States. He goes to, to, to places all over the world. And that's the joy of, of the mission NORAD Tracking Santa is watching him go around the world, delivering gifts and joy to children around the world. And so it really is a global thing. We're happy if anyone wants to you know, follow him with us on that day, they can do it wherever, wherever they are in the world with the technology that we have now. 
It is really cool. I learned a lot about different places that I haven't visited. And I think that for youth, this is a great way for them to learn geography and a little bit more about the world around them. And especially there are folks who can't get out. And this really would be an, an, an exciting thing for folks for, who for one reason or another cannot visit or go to certain places. Yeah, you're right. So what we try to do here at NORAD Track Santa uh, is share our you know, 60 plus years of experience of tracking Santa with as many people as possible. Santa is something that, that is a global thing, as I mentioned, and we want to help spread that message as far and as wide as, as possible. All right, well, we got some more questions. I'm going to roll through them real quick. From our own e-media department here at AOPA, what is the most common question you receive? Yeah, by far and away, the most common question we get is, when is Santa coming to my house? Uh, and it's usually from a child. And the answer we always give is, based on our tracking, we can give you a rough idea. But the main message we, we put across is that, hey, you know, you got to be in bed and you got to be asleep for Santa to come. I mean, he, he's not going to come if you're not in bed and asleep. That's right. He might come back if you go to bed, but you should go to bed now so Santa can come and, and deliver gifts for you and your uh, your family. And I might add, uh, be a good person all year long and don't talk back to your parents. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, so from AOPA Ambassador Jamie Beckett in Florida, and this is an aviation question. Does Santa have any known speed restrictions? No, so Santa moves faster than anything on the planet. So he he's, he's faster than the speed of light. Uh, Santa experiences time differently than we do, which is why he can visit every place in the globe he needs to in a 24-hour cycle that we are used to. So faster than anything known to man, I would say. I like it. Uh, so Superman got a rival there, so keep an eye on Santa. So from uh, AOPA Communications uh, guru Jennifer Nahn, how does Santa calculate the center of gravity with all the reindeer and the sleigh and the different useful load that the sleigh might have? Yeah, so that's, that's Santa magic. Um, there's, there's some things that we know here at NORAD, and there's other things that, you know, still remain a mystery, which is part of the joy of Santa. So I don't think I have a great answer for that one. That, that, that was a good answer, Major Henderson. You're on point with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. Now here at AOPA, we advocate for pilots, and uh, we try to keep the airspace around here in the States available for folks who are in, involved in general aviation. So now how does NORAD Santa deal with temporary flight restrictions, other traffic, or special use airspace, especially near Washington, D.C.? Yeah, so I'll answer that question in two parts. So we don't create any temporary flight restricted areas for Santa. Santa can do what he needs to do while everyone goes about their business. And secondly, we absolutely here at NORAD do work with the FAA to enforce those flight restricted areas particularly uh, in Washington, D.C., and when needed around the United States or sp for special events such as the Super Bowl. So that's when you'll see NORAD uh, enforcing these restriction areas. And, you know, we always want pilots at whatever experience level to check their NOTAMs so they don't end up having a NORAD fighter on their tail unexpectedly. That's a good point, Major Hennessy. And actually, I've been involved in some practice exercises for temporary flight restricted areas. And that's a good thing for pilots to remind themselves that once a year, maybe around the holidays is a good year to remind themselves to always make sure you check your NOTAMs and you know, do maybe a refresher course on what might happen if you get intercepted. We don't, we don't want that to happen, but you guys are doing your official 
business and we want to keep clear of uh, anything that would cause any harm. All right, a couple of more questions. We're doing great on this. Um, a couple more questions from airline pilot and general aviation pilot Mike Jess. How does Santa prepare for a flight review? Yeah, Mike, interesting question. So Santa has some unique characteristics, right? So maybe a little bit different than what, than what you would experience, but he's got two key components that he needs to make sure that are ready for the 24th. And that's his engine, so his reindeer. Uh, he's got to make sure they're fed, they're prepared. Rudolph's in front, so they know where they're going. They can use his nose to, to see at night and navigate. And then his sleigh, so is all his gear packed correctly? Does he have the gifts in the right order for how he's traveling? So that's sort of Santa's pre-flight checklist. And of course, he himself needs to be ready. So I'm sure he, it's what he's doing the rest of the year is getting ready for his one big day. And, that, and you know, I think that's exactly what uh, what Santa's doing when he's prepping for his flight. Well, speaking of prepping for the flight, is is there any place that Santa, that you know of, that Santa might fly in the off season for training and proficiency? No, so we only see Santa flying on the 24th. So it's that rest and recuperation, I guess, that takes the other 364 days a year. It's a big effort. So he probably doesn't need to exercise it too much. He's been doing it for, uh, you know, years and years and years and years. Got it. All right, so now this is a technical question from another airline pilot and general aviation pilot, Jeremy King, a good friend of mine. So Jeremy wants to know, is Santa an early, or is Norad Santa an early ADSB user, or is Santa planning to upgrade after the Christmas rush season? ADSB, Automatic Data Surveillance Broadcast. Yeah, so... Uh you said off the bat that I'm a that I'm a Canadian Army guy, so there's still a few things that I'm not fully up to speed on. But Santa's has always got the latest tech. Okay. And by that I mean he's got his own magic, so he doesn't need tech. He's got a reindeer and he's got magic. I like it. If we could get to that level with what he has, we wouldn't need any technology. We just have it all intuitively. Oh, that's very cool. I like that. All right, so from a friend of mine, Washington, D.C.'s David Manning. So how do air traffic controllers properly identify Santa's sleigh? I mean, we're thinking about, is there a special transponder code or something like that? Yeah, so in North America, as I mentioned, so generally Santa will start uh, in the South Pacific. He'll work, work his way as the time, time advances through Asia, you know, into Africa, the Middle East, Europe. And then generally he comes over to North America from Europe. And as soon as he enters um, North American airspace, we'll have fighters alongside to greet him and to escort him. So that's a unique signature with NORAD fighter aircraft and this unique signature on the 24th. It's very evident to everyone, you know, where Santa is. And if they have any questions, they can just go to our website, go to our app, and you can see for yourself exactly where he is. Gotcha. And the website, hit me with the website one more time. Yeah. So www noradtracksanta.org. Got it. All right, a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up because I know you're busy trying to, uh, to make sure that all of North America is safe. So from Atlanta's Tracy Trumbull, he wondered, what about side load factors and banked turns in the sleigh? Now I know this is a technical question, but as pilots we need to be advised of stall characteristics and handling characteristics. And I know Santa's got a lot of magic. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, so the, so the specifics, again, NORAD has technology and abilities developed over centuries. He's got his stuff wired pretty tight. I don't think he, 
You know, I don't think he, he worries too much on his measurements. Uh, I don't know the specifics. It might be different every year. There's more, you know, there's more people, there's more children in the world all the time. So, you know, he's, he's making those calculations when he's doing his planning. Absolutely. All right. Good enough answer for me. So when we're almost at the end of the interview, we really appreciate NORAD Santa's folks helping us out today, Major Hennessy. We've, we've got to say thank you so much. I've been wanting to do this interview for a couple of years now, so I'm really happy that we're, we're getting there. Now, any plans for modifying the sleigh or going to eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing? I mean, that's something we see a lot of we're, you know, in, in the airspace environment and also uh, in the military. We've seen a little bit more of an interest in that kind of thing. Yeah, so Santa has the ability to fly whichever way he pleases. So we see Santa when he takes off in, from the North Pole with our North Warning System radars. So his, his trajectory, you know, it's almost like a missile launch. So we're using the technologies, geosynchronous orbit satellites to track that launch. We lock onto Rudolph's nose as the heat signature and we track him that way. And as he's going from house to house, town to town, country to country, you name it, he can fly whichever way he pleases in a much more advanced capacity than, than any aircraft uh, man can possess. Awesome. All right, so final question from my daughter, Lauren. She wants to know what she's getting for Christmas. Yeah, I can't answer that. Um, that's between her and Santa. Uh, you know, there's a naughty list and a nice list. Uh, <laughs> I think if you're on the nice list uh, and, and you ask for um, what you want, I think more than more, the, more often than not, Santa's going to deliver for you. All right, a couple of quick follow-up questions. So folks who are interested in helping out or uh, maybe following in your footsteps, in NORAD's footsteps, what could they do to get involved in following in your footsteps, whether it's in the military or following science, technology, engineering, and math? Yeah, so all of those academic things, that education part that you just brought up, I think it's hugely important for everyone. A decision to join a military beat in Canada or the United States, I think is a noble decision, um, and I would recommend it to, to many people who are out there thinking about serving their nation. We're very blessed here. There's, there's a small team that gets to do this mission for a few years out of their career at NORAD. I feel fortunate to do it. I know everyone else here with me does as well. And for those of you who will do this in the future, I know you'll feel that, that unique gratification that, that we feel here with this mission. Well, that is a good note to end it on, Major Andrew Hennessy. And we are very uh, gratified that you helped us today. And we, our hearts go out to you and everyone else that's keeping North America safe and around the world. Thank you for your service one more time. Any closing comments for the folks who might be listening to Hangar Talk or, or kids that might be up late waiting for NORAD Santa to go ahead and track NORAD Santa on uh, December 24th. Yeah, you can, you can give us a call on the 24th, one eight seven seven hi norad We'll let you know exactly where Santa is. Uh, you can hit us up throughout the month of December on our website, noradtracksanta.org. We're here to let you know exactly where Santa is. We're here to keep him safe in North America, and we're going to continue to do this mission into the future. All right. Well, Major Andrew Hennessy from the Canadian Army and from NORAD, we appreciate your help here on uh, Hangar Talk and for explaining to us the valuable services that you guys do, guys and girls do for us every day. Uh, we couldn't thank you enough for being such a great guest. I hope our paths cross sometime in person. Thanks for having me.
All right, David, I, th- I thought that was cool. And the guy, you know, he's he's great. Totally gets it. A lot of fun there. Oh, yeah, Major Andrew Hennessy. He was a, a real pal to have on the air. And he said that we were the first, Hangar Talk was the first news organization that he was going to chat with this year on behalf of NORAD Santa. So we'll take that as a feather in our cap. Of course, we've been trying to get NORAD Santa on the Hangar Talk program for a number of years here. But what was, what was cool to me is that, you know, there really is a, some thought behind this process. There are a lot of volunteers that put in a lot of hours, and it's an educational endeavor for young people. And i got to tell you, Ian, when my daughter Lauren was a little bit younger, and, and even still last year we watched as well, but when she was younger, it was so cool to learn about different parts of the world by doing a flyover. And you learn, learn a little bit more about the, the geopolitical nature of the world we live in, and NORAD really embraces that while keeping a real eagle eye on things like temporary flight restricted areas and whatnot. And I thought Major Hennessy was really cool the way he told us about some of the secrets that Santa has that even they don't know about. Yeah, man, that's that was great. That was great. So, hey, that's all the time we have for this week. Stay tuned for the next show in two weeks where we're going to cover the top headlines of the year. And until that time, happy holidays. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at AOPA.org slash HangarTalk. We're on iTunes, at Sporty's Takeoff app, and on Spotify. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.